You can go ahead and jump into Luke chapter 11. We're going to go back into that passage of scripture today. Um, I told you about my mom last week and how she was a, a praying lady. I still is a praying lady and uh, I'm uh, blessed to have her in my life. And she, uh, she splits her time between me and my brother. He, he pastors over at New Life in Lugoff. So she gets to hear both of her sons preach every other week. So I'm glad she's here today. But, uh, but um, uh, she, uh, she was a, I love having a praying mom. I also have a praying wife. Any husbands in the room can thank God today for a praying wife? Amen. That's what we say there, right? So, uh, but I, I remember when Jenny got pregnant with our first pregnancy, her first pregnancy, uh, she told me that she was praying for something that kind of floored me. She said, Javen, I'm praying for twins. I said, say what now? <laughs> she said, I'm praying for twins. Specifically, a boy and a girl. And I said, well, that's not what I said. I said, uh, I, I said, all right. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, we haven't even had one yet. How are we going to have two? But she's like, we don't know the difference. So we, I remember going to the doctor the first time, the doctor checking the heartbeat. And she's asking, she said, are there, is there only one heartbeat? Is there more than one there? And he said, there's, there's just one heartbeat. And she that did not discourage my wife in the least, and she kept praying. So we went to our first ultrasound visit. The ultrasound tech puts the gun, whatever that thing is, on her belly, puts it on there, immediately pulls it off, and says, I'll be right back. Now, I don't know about you. Now, I don't, I, you know, I try not to fear, right? But that doesn't necessarily leave you with a good feeling when the tech says, oh, I'll be right back. And she leaves the room comes back in and then starts the process over again. And she says, okay, here's your baby and here's your other baby. And I think from that point on, I spent the rest of the visit kind of like this. I don't know that I said much after that. I think I said, will I be able to tell them apart? And she said, yes, because this is a boy and this is a girl. And I said, Jenny, you're doing all the praying in our house from now on, baby. You, you are doing all the praying. But uh, I am thankful for, for a praying wife. You know, I mentioned my, my mom's posture in prayer. I mean, she prayed more than just this style, but I often remember her kneeling beside her bed. I, I joke with my wife that the posture that I'll remember with her, and she knows this, she laughed, she laughed about it yesterday, that I will always remember when my wife is praying is her sitting back in the recliner like this. I never know if she's sleeping or praying, but I know one thing, don't bother her when she's like that, all right? Because one of the two is taking place. <laughs> Just leave her alone and let her do whichever it is. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a praying wife. And I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to have a conversation with her, video conversation with her about prayer and about the importance of prayer in her life, what it's meant, how she's grown in it. And, uh, and we're going to put that online. It'll be on our YouTube channel. I encourage you to, uh, we'll let you know when that's posted. It'll only be online. So that'll be the only way you get to hear Jenny share that conversation, but it'll be, it'll be great. And I encourage you to listen and then share it with others. Cause I promise it'll be, it'll be a wonderful thing. The last week we began this series on in Jesus name, looking at prayer. We said that when it comes to prayer, we kind of need to shift our mindset from a focus where we look at prayer as, um, supplemental, and just transactional in our life and treating it that way to where we say prayer is fundamental. 
and it's formational for us. You know, Jesus told us, he told his disciples, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we saw that Jesus said, apart from the father, even he who was the son of God could do nothing. If it was important for Jesus to be desperately connected to God, the father, it should be the same for us as well. So we said that learning that and knowing that we, we have to have this desperation for and dependence upon upon God. And, and as we do that, we'll find ourselves praying with bold persistence in prayer to, to our father. And that, and we said that, uh, that also we will learn to be attentive, listening for his answer. And then when he answers, we trust his answer. Amen. We trust his answer. Now the, the verse that we said that we're kind of, we're clinging to throughout this series is Luke 11 verse one, where it says that his disciples approached Jesus and they, they told him, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray because we want that same heart and that same mentality to be evident in our life. Jesus, Father, let us have a heart. Teach us to have a heart that longs to be connected to you. Right? We, we said it's fascinating that this is the one place in the Gospels where we see the disciples approach Jesus and ask him to teach them to do anything. Of all the fascinating things that they had seen God do, the wonders, the miracles, the amazing things, this is the one place we see the disciples approach Jesus and say, teach me to pray. So it should challenge us and move us to say, this must be very important in our life. Now, this passage in Luke chapter 11 is paralleled in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter six. He's, he's the, the only other gospel where we see that they mention what we call the Lord's prayer and his teaching on praying, right? And so in Matthew, in his gospel, he, he uh, expresses a little bit more around the topic of prayer that Jesus does. One thing that Jesus, that he expresses is that Jesus, before he goes into teaching his disciples how to pray, he teaches them what not to do with prayer. And he tells them one thing to, to not do is to not pray and not pray for others to hear you pray, right? He said, is he saying that we don't participate in public prayer, that we don't participate with it? No, that's not what he's saying. Because all throughout scripture, we see crowds gathering together to pray. That's how the church started. It was 120 people in an upper room, right? And Jesus even said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. So there is a, there's a power in public prayer prayer. In fact, we encourage you to be here this Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to have a night of worship as we're concluding our fast this weekend. And we're going to have a night of worship together. Even if you participate in the fast night, come be with us. We're going to worship and we're going to have a time of corporate prayer. It will be a little bit different than what we've done in the past, but it's going to be a time of corporate prayer seeking God, right? So there's power in that. But what Jesus is saying is the only time we pray can't be when it's in front of people. So they think we're a religious person. But when in reality, there is no true connection with the father in a relationship with him. And then he says this, he says, don't be like the Gentiles and babble on and on and on using meaningless words and many words trying to say your prayers. So is Jesus saying that we shouldn't repeat the same prayer over and over, that we should just pray at one time and never bring it back up again? I don't think that's what he's saying there either. And I mean, when you, again, when you look through scripture, you, you don't see that. And when you look back at what we talked about last week with the persistent widow, the parable that Jesus told of the persistent widow, the unjust judge said that he gave her the justice that she was due. Why? Because she kept coming back over and over and over again, asking for it. And, and in Luke 11, right after Jesus teaches about prayer, he told the disciples, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So it's not that we don't say the same prayer over and over again. The, the phrase in the word in the Greek 
it's difficult here because this is the only time in the New Testament where we see this word in the Greek used. The only time in the New Testament. So it's hard to, to look at that compared to other contexts of Scripture where it's used. But, but scholars and those that, that study the Greek, they tell you that basically what this word is saying is it's, it's used around the fact of someone trying to use intelligent words to make themselves sound smarter than what they really are. You ever been around somebody that tries to make themselves smarter than what they really are? You say, yeah, every Sunday about this time I come and sit and listen to a guy standing on stage at Bethlehem. Right, but, so it's, it's not that Jesus is saying we can't pray the same prayer over and over again. It's just what he's saying is there needs to be a connection with God, with the Father. And that's why he starts his prayer in a very specific way when he begins to teach the disciples how to pray. He starts in a very specific way. In fact, let's read it together. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 11. Or he says this. He says... Verse 2, he said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one. Now, this is probably very familiar to you, is it not? The Lord's Prayer, saying this and understanding this. But this is why Jesus starts the prayer the way he does. He says, You pray like this pray, Our Father. Because again, it's not about letting others hear you pray, it's not about trying to sound some certain way, it's about connecting to a relationship with your heavenly Father. You don't have to persuade. God in any way, shape, or form. He loves you. He wants to have connection with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He loves you. You don't have to, you don't have to try to approach God and make yourself seem worthy. He has already deemed you worthy. He deemed you worthy when Jesus Christ came to redeem you through his act on the cross. He showed you how worthy you were for his love. He loves you. J.I. Packer made the statement and, and said to really find out how much someone understands Christianity, find out how much they understand the, and make of the fatherhood of God. Now, I made this statement a few weeks ago in a message that we did about, I realize it's hard for everybody to, to grasp God as father because not everyone has a great relationship with their earthly father. And I realize that it can be difficult to look at that. If there's more in that message, it was November 21st, the everlasting father. You can go back and look at that, listen to that. But one statement I just want to, to remind you of is that rather than looking at the heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father, look at your earthly father through the lens of your heavenly father, because the heavenly father is not the replica The earthly father is the replica, but oftentimes the earthly father doesn't always get it right. So look at your heavenly father first. And our father in heaven wants us to desire him. He wants us to long for him, to enjoy being with him. It's not just about being with him so that we can get from him. You know, he wants you to long and to find joy in being in his presence. 
Now, I, I'll, I have kids. I'm a dad. Uh, Andy, I'm going to use this mic here. I've got a... Kids, I love you. I've got a uh, recording I did back in 2012. This was a moment when I was playing with the kids. And I said, I'm going to record this because I want this sound... I want to have access to this sound for as long as I can have access to this sound. So we're playing, and, and this is well, this is the sound. Can y'all hear that? That sound. As a dad, I loved that sound. Why? Because it was my kids enjoying being with their father. Laughing. Having a good time. That's how our Heavenly Father wants us to feel with Him. In His presence. In fact, the Scripture tells us that that he wants to turn our mourning into dancing. He wants to bring us joy. He wants us to have joy in his presence. So when you approach your heavenly father, when you approach God, you're saying, our father, my heavenly father, my, my dad. Paul said we can call him Abba father, daddy. I love you. And then Jesus says, he teaches them this. He says, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed be your name mean? I'll give you a couple of quotes from a couple of pastors in New York. Tim Keller says this. It says, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God. And even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer. To get things. He he describes it saying, we may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things, success, our social Relationships, But seldom or never, he says, do we spend a sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to seem as a means through which we get things to make us happy. But for most of us, he's not become our happiness. Pastor John Tyson said this, he said, unless you break the stronghold of the false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been with God for thousands of years and they still can't get past the words holy, holy, holy. It could be that you're distracted by trivia in our culture, he says. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. Hallowed be your name. He is holy, He is set apart, He is amazing. He is most beautiful. In other words, rather rather than approaching God as a means to an ends for ourselves and what we're looking for, we're approaching God and celebrating who he is better than anything we can ever get. Any earthly, in fact, if we never get what we think we want, we still understand and know he's still God and he's still holy and he's better than any of that. Again, that's why David prayed Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because I am with him. His presence was more important than anything. In other words, David said, anytime I have to walk through a place that nobody wants to walk through, 
even if I have to do that, I'm still thankful I'm in your presence. So God, turn, my vision, turn this valley of a shadow of death into a valley of vision to see you and to see your presence because hallowed be your name. You are most beautiful. And he is the most worthy. He is full of glory. See, the point of our life is to give him glory. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're not just praying, God, your name is holy, but God, make your name holy. Make your name holy through us. See, what we're doing is we're shifting our mind to understand God is not my servant waiting to hear what I'm requesting and then serve me. I am his servant here to serve his purposes, which takes us right into the next part of the prayer that Jesus teaches when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, my agenda becomes second to your agenda, God. You know, I mean, we, we make plans. Scripture even, we see that all throughout the, the, the Scripture. We can make our plans. There's nothing wrong for us planning. There's nothing wrong for us dreaming. But we make our plans, but He orders our steps. So we can plan, but we trust Him as we step. And He'll lead us the best way we need to be led. So we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. A couple of ways to pray the will of the Father. One, pray scripture. Pray scripture. Pastor Brian referenced that through worship this morning, talking about what Leland does, talking about that scripture that he has in his pocket. that's, That's a prayer we can pray of scripture of God. Because as we pray the scripture of God, we pray the will of God over our life. Mark Batterson, the author of The Circle Maker, made this statement. He said, one thing certain, our most powerful prayers are hyperlinked to the promises of God. When you know you're praying the promises of God, you can pray with holy confidence. So pray the scripture. Another way to pray the will of God is to pray with the Holy Spirit. See, when we pray with the Holy Spirit, we're not just praying to God. We're praying with God. Uh, Paul talks about this all through his letters, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, I think it's verse 18. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says that we don't always have the words to pray. But the Holy Spirit will pray for us and groans that our words, our words and the words we know can express. The Spirit understands and knows the mind of the Father, Paul says. We can't understand that. So however you pray with the Spirit, sit in His presence. Be still. Be silent. But don't ever be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Accept every aspect of Him, even those aspects that you can't completely understand. Just say, Holy Spirit, I'm open to you because I want to pray with you. I have a friend, his name's Jay. Went to college with him. He, he's, he married a, uh, a lady from an Hispanic culture, and her primary language is Spanish. They live in Oklahoma now, and Jay, I heard him sharing this recently. And he said, for him, you know, this, rea- this has always been a part of his life, but he said that for him, this became so real one day when they were at home and him and his wife were having a conversation and then all of a sudden, rather than talking in his primary language with her, he began to talk in Spanish with her, her primary language. And their conversation, 
shifted to that. And he said this revelation came to him and said that God, God loves you so much that he will speak your language. But when you love someone, you learn to speak theirs. I thought, man, that is a powerful revelation. So, Father, just, just make us open. Even to things that we don't completely understand, God, just make us open to you and your Holy Spirit. Because we, we want to pray your kingdom come, your will be done. So we want to pray the scripture, pray with the Spirit, and we'll know that. See, the very beginning of how Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray is basically he's transforming their thoughts to understand who God is. He is your Father who is present. He is good. He wants to be with you. He wants to be a part of your life. He loves you. He wants you to be his child. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Then he goes into saying, give us this day our daily bread. Give us day by day the bread we need for this life. See, the point here is to understand that we need to have, again, utter dependence on God. And thank him that he is the one that we are dependent upon. See, here's the thing about sin. Sin wants to make us, sin sin wants to take us to a place where we are independent and autonomous from God. Where we think we are. That's the very beginning of what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's how the the enemy got Adam and Eve to separate themselves from God as we see in Genesis. He told him, no, he's just worried you're going to be like him. See, you eat this, then you won't need him. You'll be okay. That's what sin wants to do. Sin wants us to take us to a place where our minds think we can be independent. We can be autonomous on our own, away from God. But Jesus is showing you through how he's teaching you to pray is, no, we have got to be completely dependent on God every day. Every day he has what we need. And this is very specific to point out today's bread. Not necessarily tomorrow's bread or too far in the future. But every day, understanding that whatever we go into every day, God has what we need. For whatever role we have in this life, God has what we need. And yes, it's a part of physical blessings, but I believe it goes much deeper than that. It it goes to just the fact that everything we need is in our relationship through Jesus Christ himself. Because in John chapter 6, we see that Jesus is talking to the people and because they would have this understanding that God is my Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. That's the culture that they understood. That's what they knew. And their mind would go back to the time when they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. And when they were out in the wilderness, God provided them manna from heaven every day on the ground. And they would only get it for that day. If they tried to keep it, the next day it would be spoiled. So it was no good to try to have leftovers, right? Thank God for leftovers every now and then. But, but God's like, no, no, not this time. You're going to take that. That's just for today. So this is their mind. And then Jesus begins to teach them and says, you understand this and you know. But Moses isn't the one that gave you the bread of life from heaven. The bread of life, he says, comes from the Father through the one he sends. And then he tells them this. He says, I am the bread of life. So see, when we pray God, give us today, every day, our daily bread. We're not just praying, God, meet our needs every day. See, in fact, that's why, Jesus, that's why Matthew in his gospel, he pointed out before he went into his prayer, he said, God knows your every need. Before you even pray, God knows your needs. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what you need. There's a fantastic story, Matthew chapter 18 and Mark chapter 8. Matthew 16, Mark 8 
where the disciples are getting out of a boat. I love, I love because I just feel so great that the disciples were like this and Jesus called them. But they, they're getting out of the boat, crossing a lake one day, and they realize, oh, man, we've only got one loaf of bread. And uh, Jesus, then they get out of the boat. Jesus turns to them. He looks and says, don't let the yeast from the Pharisees and the Sadducees get into your, uh, into your bread. And then they say, oh, great. He knows we've only got one loaf of bread. So if we go into town and we're trying to make bread, then we don't need to get yeast from the Pharisees and the Sadducees because if we get their yeast and try to make our bread, it's not going to turn out good. And it says that Jesus turns around to them. He knows what they're talking about. And he says, guys, have you not figured it out yet? <laughs> This is why I love the disciples, because it just makes me feel good, right? Have you not, I'm not talking about literal physical bread. He's saying, don't let the yeast from the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees get into and mix with what the bread of life, me, has been teaching and pouring into you. Give us today, every day, our bread. God's not just give me this, give me this, give me this. God, let me get everything I need through my relationship with you to strengthen me, to grow me in my walk with you. And then we see him say, God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, as we forgive those that have debts against us. In other words, forgiveness brings freedom. There's power in forgiveness. Forgiveness needs to be important to us. Forgiveness for yourself starts with confession. See, sin loses its power when it's exposed. So when you, that's why it's always good to say, kids, that's why your parents, when they want you to tell them what you did wrong. Husbands, when your wife wants you to tell you, tell her what you did wrong, why you're apologizing. It's important because you're exposing the wrong. And it loses its power in your life. But the scripture teaches us, it tells us that we need to confess our sins to God and to those who are close to us that we can trust to confess that to and help us walk in it. And then when we confess, we also begin to see others differently. We don't, we don't, we may not have as much of a judgmental spirit towards others because we begin to understand how much God's forgiven us for. But we've got to be willing to forgive others also. We've got to be willing because if we don't forgive others, bitterness and anger will root in our lives, as the author of Hebrews says, and it will keep us from growing in Christ the way we need to grow. That's why Jesus taught his, taught, taught his people, he said, if you're in line to, to bring an offering and you remember you've got someone has a debt against you, you need to go forgive them. Get out of line. And that would be hard for them to do because they would have waited in line for a long time to bring their offering to the temple. But if all of a sudden they remember a sin or something that they're indebted to, they need to go forgive before they bring their offering. That's how important forgiveness was. Forgiveness is very important in our life. And then Jesus ends it by saying, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Why? Because we're all prone to wander. Without God in our life, we're, we're prone to, and we are susceptible to sin. Without constant connection with the Father and being in relationship with Him, as Paul says in his letters, walking by the Spirit instead of walking by the flesh. We walk by the Spirit when we're in connection with the Father. And so we... we 
we walk with the Spirit. And as Paul said in his letter to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, he says that, see, our, our war is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of the air. That's, that's why we put on the full armor of God so that when his attacks come, what can we do? We stand in the face of his attacks. And how do we put on the full armor of God? It's, it's through our connection with the Father, through prayer, through our relationship with him. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth, just like it is in heaven. Give us day by day the bread we need from you in this life. Forgive us our sins, God, just as we forgive and not hold any grudge towards anyone else in our life. And lead us, God, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I hope that what you notice about this prayer is that this prayer is all about relationship. It's about our relationship with the Father first and foremost and primarily. And it's about our relationship with others. That's why it's in there that we need to forgive others. The Lord's Prayer is not just a liturgy to recite. Although there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing, there's power in reciting the Lord's Prayer. I've been a part of groups where we just, that's the, we, we recited the Lord's Prayer. My kids have been on teams where at the end of a game or before a game, they huddle up and they say the Lord's Prayer together. And I'm thankful for coaches that would lead them in that. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not just that. It's a template to make sure that we understand that the posture of our heart is where it needs to be in relationship with God and with others. If you look at the way Jesus' prayer kind of lays out versus the way we pray when we pray, it can be convicting. Because Jesus' prayer is all about approaching the Father, honoring Him for who He is in our life and the relationship that we have for Him and, 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 and what He brings to us. And God, help us to be a part of Your will. Help us, to be, help us to see what You want in this life, not just what we want in this life, God. And help us to walk and and, and bring you glory with our life. Help us not to fall and, and, to, and to do things we shouldn't and help our relationship with others be good and be well. And just help me to trust and know that everything I need is taken care of by you. Oftentimes our prayer is, God, here's what I need today. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And God, thank you for being good. Does that mean we don't pray for specific things? No, I told you my wife prayed for twins. And I'm thankful that she did. A boy and a girl. And we have those in our life, them in our life today. Because she prayed that specific prayer. It it doesn't mean you don't pray for specific things that are on your heart. It doesn't mean you don't pray for the needs of, of others in your life. Yes, pray for those things. But let the prayer and your connection, let it be all about your connection with the Father. Let that be the importance of prayer in your life. See, may we find joy in being with the Father. Understanding when He provides for us, He knows our needs. He longs for us to desire Him, to be in relationship with Him. And may our heart be one that wants to live for Him and bring Him glory in everything. Amen. Stand with us this morning. We're going to close out just in a heart of worship. You can.
turn where you are into a place of prayer. If you want to come kneel around the stage and make it an altar for yourself, you can do that. I just encourage you to take these closing moments. Just spend some time worship in a heart of worship and prayer with your Father who loves you, who wants to connect with you. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and how awesome you are. Father, we honor you today. You are worthy of all praise and glory. There's no one like you. And we celebrate you today. We thank you that all of our needs are in you and you are all we need. Father, I pray for anyone in this room today that hasn't connected with you and and made a relationship with you today. I pray that today would be a day where they can look at you for the first time and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk with you. Help me to begin a new life with you. Father, I just pray that we can live this life every day to bring you glory, to stay protected from the sin that wants to destroy us, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God, protect us, guard us, and help us to live every day for the one who came to bring us life and life more abundant. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for turning our graves into gardens. We thank you for setting a fire in our hearts. We thank you for freeing us from from fear. We are your child. We give you praise in Jesus' name. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com. Go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803 676 7566 and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.